If you want to, you can turn your Bibles over to Isaiah 42 in just a moment. But I want to remind you that we're talking about, you know, the truth about God's character and why it's so important. Uh, if you don't understand God's nature and who He is, it's impossible for you to, to believe Him for things. It's impossible for you to communicate who He is to others. There's so many reasons why it's important. But it's not just understanding that God is, for example, good or just or wise. He wants you to tap into what He is. He told us to be imitators of Himself as what? As dear children. Say, I'm an imitator of God. I'm one of His dear ones. And so as we talked about last week, if God is just and He expects us to be just, remember the scripture that, you know, He showed the old man what God requires of you. What does He require of you? To do what? Do justly. Love mercy and what? Walk humbly. So you see, you know, see this concept of justice and, and, and mercy and humility, that's what we should be like. So it's not God's one thing and then we don't have to strive for that because after all, He is God. That is a life in the pit of hell. He's our example. Isn't Jesus our example? Think about this. In the beginning was what? Was the Word. And the Word was? And He was what? With God in the beginning. And it goes on to say that everything created came through Him. Everybody say created. Everything that pertains to life came through Him, and the light also came through Him. All that in John chapter 1. That tells you and me that whatever He is, we're supposed to be imitators of. We're supposed to see that character develop on the inside of us. And maybe you'd say you're, you're not there, there's still issues in your life, but at least you're making progress. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them you're not nearly as honorary as you used to be. <laughs> because your spouse called me and told me, Amen. They're working on it. Praise the Lord. So in the concept of justice, it means the quality of being just or righteous or morally right. God does right because He is right. Uh, everything God does is not right because we think so. It's because of what His Word actually says. So the rightness of God is revealed in His character, and it's reflected, of course, in the Word. Why do we say that? Because God and His Word are one. There is no deviation between God and His Word or between His Word and the Holy Spirit. And you find something that is spiritual contradicting the Word, you can set that aside and say, I don't know what that is, but it's not God. Amen? Say, God and His Word are one. The Holy Spirit and His Word are one. And so when we look at Scripture, I mean, there's just a, a ton of verses about how right God is. Why is that important? Because you can have confidence that as it pertains to you and your family, God's going to do the right thing. Isn't it nice to know you have somebody in your life that's going to do the right thing? Every single time. Come on, say, my God will do the right thing every single time. You can count on Him. And to be able to go to God and know that He is not going to be arbitrary. Well, you never know what God's going to do. That's not Bible. We know He's going to do right because He is right, fundamentally. Uh, Psalm 9.8, the Lord will govern the peoples with justice. Psalm 9.16, the Lord is known by His justice. Psalm 11.7, the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Psalm 33.5, Lord loves righteousness and justice. In Psalm 36, 6, uh, your justice is like the ocean depths. His justice is deep. It is wide. It is comprehensive. In other words, it's a very significant part of His character. Are you here tonight? Say, He is just. He is just. 
In Psalm 45, 6, the scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Wouldn't it be great if every scepter that's been extended in world history was just? Amen. I mean, we got some pretty wicked people that have been through this earth in times past and being pretty wicked people today. It's, it's likely that Putin today killed 10 people so he could kill one person who was a threat to him, the, the founder of the Wagner Group, a bunch of mercenaries that work for Russia. That's what you have today. It just came out of my spirit today. If that guy doesn't repent, he's going to have a place in hell right next to Mao and Pol Pot and Hitler. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Yeah. There's some wickedness out there. And here we know that our God, every day that he reigns throughout history and throughout the, the annals of time, past, present, future, he will always be doing it with righteousness. Won't that be a day when Jesus takes the throne? Amen. And I'm not talking about spiritually or theoretically. I'm talking about literally physically he takes dominion and control. Look at somebody and say, don't be sad. You're going to be around. <laughs> You're on the right side of this thing. <laughs> Amen. Proverbs, uh, Psalm 89, 14. This is one to remember. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of of your throne. That's where he operates. I wish that were the case in every single governor's mansion, every single mayoral office, every single, you know, senator and congressman and woman's office. That's just not the case, but it is with our God. Turn to somebody and say, you can count on him to always do the right thing. And you know, he's not going to take a poll. And he's not going to care how politically correct it is. Today in Canada, it seems that all the craziness is coming out of Canada these days, but uh, a Canadian scholar has now come up with a new concept that the reason everybody's so fascinated with, with health and fitness and, and losing fat is we are all fat phobic. Now there's a new phobia called fat phobia. So if you encourage yourself or someone else to get in shape, it's because you have a fat phobia. There's another lady out in California who's the chief medical officer out there of a very sophisticated medical school and hospital system. I'm talking about the top dog, amen, well-educated and trained. She said that a child now, can, if they want to, identify as a, as a candy. <laughs> They're losing their minds. You understand what I'm saying to you? So imagine you're a physician, right? You're a pediatrician. Listen up, Jackie. <laughs> this might help you. I don't know how. And they're forcing people to put on their paper now what they identify as. And uh, little Mary comes in and says, I identify as a Tootsie Roll Pop. How am I supposed to treat that? Lick it. Lick it. Who said that? <laughs> okay. Okay, we're going to move on, amen, before I totally lose this service tonight. <laughs> but look at somebody and tell them, they're crazy. It's not righteous and justice is the foundation of their throne. It's not truth. It's completely air. It's preposterous. Proverbs 29, 26, many seek an audience with a ruler, amen, but favor is from the Lord. It's from a, the Lord that a man gets justice. Where are you going to get justice from? I'm sorry, but you're not going to get it from a court of law. I'm not going to get it from a group of people. If you're going to get it, it's going to be justice from the Lord. Now watch this. 
His priority is not civil justice. His highest priority is not criminal justice. His highest priority is not social justice. His highest priority is spiritual justice. Because if you work spiritual justice, then you can get civil justice and criminal justice and social justice. But if you go for the others without spiritual justice, you don't have the foundation or the authority to pursue the others. And that's why this world is so messed up. And I'll give you some examples of that tonight from Scripture. But first look at Isaiah 42 with me to show you that this is a passion of the Lord's. This is a primary concern of His. Isaiah 42 verse 1, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to what? To the nations. He will not uh, shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. He's not going to be a politician. He is not going to be a demonstrator. Are you here? A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter. Or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth, and his teaching the islands will put their hope. Now, how's he going to do it? Now, a false application of that scripture would say, well, Jesus is going to be some great social justice, you know, you know, advocate. That's what he's going to focus on. No, he's going to bring a certain kind of justice that can only be brought through this world in a spiritual manner. And you and I know what that started with: his sacrifice on the cross. Aren't you glad he stayed up on that cross? Aren't you glad he rose from the dead? Aren't you glad he ascended on high? Aren't you glad he's coming back again? Working justice. Now what? Watch this. Everything will follow that. Social justice, criminal justice, civil justice will follow what he's already done in spiritual justice. And you and I have to have that same mindset. So with that in mind, let's talk about one particular scripture in Luke chapter 19 and show you how this works, and show you how powerful it is. Say it with me. It's about spiritual justice. And anyone in a pulpit preaching social justice, and uh, it's happening, even within people that are associated with our particular organization or denomination, they're preaching this stuff as if it's the priority. You know, I thought it was seek and save them that are lost. Amen. Amen. Am I in the right church tonight? Amen. I thought it was preach the word, amen, to every creation. I thought it was teach them to follow Him and to obey Him and walk with Him. It's not about social justice agenda. Social justice will spring forth when people are right spiritually. If you don't get them right spiritually, no matter what you do, there's not going to be real social justice. In other words, what will happen is you'll just have one other person oppressing somebody else because they were oppressed. That's not justice. It's not justice for you to make somebody else pay for what somebody else did. You see how back where that is? Well, how do we fix it? Spiritual justice first. This is a very powerful, powerful example. In Luke chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. Now, you just stop and say to yourself, because he was a thief, because he was hated, amen, supremely by the people that he oppressed. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, first of all, nobody told him what his name was. Amen. 
I must stay at your house today. I mean, no, this is a pivotal moment for Zacchaeus. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Everybody knew what this man was. Everybody knew what this man did. And they're clamoring for, you know, civil justice, social justice. Give it to him. He should pay. That's their mindset. When's he going to get his? The last thing they want is him having supper with Jesus, thinking he's such a tyrant and a terrible person. Well, watch this. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, I know something happened at that dinner, and it wasn't just pot roast or pie. He stood up and said to the Lord, Look, look, here, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Let me ask you a question. Which came first? Social justice, civil justice, or spiritual justice? Spiritual justice transforms the heart and inclines the person to do the right thing. You can't expect Zacchaeus to do right until he is made right. Do you see what I'm saying tonight? Clearly he brought a measure of justice, and I have a feeling he spent the rest of his days doing the right thing and helping people. Stop ripping people off. But it didn't happen until there was first spiritual justice met and achieved and satisfied by him personally accepting the Lord. You know, the key to all of them kinds of justice is getting people right with God. That's why you never stop praying for your government officials. I said you never stop praying for them. You say, well, some of them are really whack. Yeah, they are. That's why you need to pray for them. <laughs> you know, if they were perfectly right with God and making right decisions, then there you go. Praise the Lord. No, they're not capable of doing the right thing until there is some kind of spiritual manifestation in their life. And there are some good and godly people that are running for various offices and that hold offices around the country. But unfortunately, a lot of them are hemmed in and pinned in by systems that are not godly. You understand what I'm saying to you? And they're subject to all kinds of interference and influence and all kinds of pressure. Now, you and I have the right as children of God to expect that we can tap into the justice of God and all that that implies. And that's really what tonight is about, okay? Imagine that, that there's some need in your life, whether it's God making a way or some kind of a miracle, some kind of financial situation, some kind of physical battle that you're going through, you know, what, uh, what can I do? You know, what what's practically should I be doing to reach out to God, who is the ultimate judge? Everybody say, he's a, he's a just judge. Yes. Amen. He is holy. He is righteous. What am I supposed to do? Well, I want you to kind of receive these tonight and let the Lord just speak to you. But the first thing you're going to need to do if you're going to tap into the benefits that, that He provides is obviously, you know, everybody here on a Wednesday night, you're a, you're a special group. <laughs> Pastor, would you please define what that means? <laughs> they're special. <laughs> there, there has to be a degree of hunger in your heart to be in an American church on a Wednesday night. Everything is pushing people away from these realities. Everything is pushing you away from a hunger 
for God. And so to be born again puts you in a position to ask of him the righteous judge what, what you want. But from that foundation of being born, say it with me, thank God I'm born again. Say, thank God I'm going to heaven. Say, thank God I'm right with God. That's where it all starts. But how do you know that you are not being saved and forgiven on the way to heaven? We still have situations we have to deal with now. Raise your hand if you have a situation, personal situation you're dealing with right now. Okay. Here's what you need to do in terms of, you know, operating in a sense, because God is just. You can approach Him through what He tells you to approach Him with and expect that you're going to get a favorable outcome. Amen. Number one, you're going to need to develop your faith. On what? On the thing that you're dealing with. You're going to have to find the place where it is written and meditate and meditate and grow your faith. You know, look up those scriptures, find the place where it's written about that particular situation for you and build your case in terms of what you need to know, what you need to believe in, cultivating your faith. Say, cultivate, cultivate. My, faith. my faith. Say, for example, turn over to Psalm 103 because there's a lot of things there you could be using. Now, I'm not talking about generically your faith in Christ here. We're talking about specific faith for specific results. If you are believing God for healing, what kind of scriptures should you be looking for? Uh, to quote uh, Keith Moore, what do you need to be scriptural? Scriptures. <laughs> Come on, say, what do I need <laughs> to be scriptural? Scriptures. If you're going to go to God with a need, you need to make sure you're scriptural. Yeah. What does it say? And a lot of people are blocked right there because they've been taught God didn't care about that stuff. That stuff's passed away. God doesn't do that stuff anymore. Well, don't listen to man to formulate, amen, your approach to God with your need. Go to what the Word of God says. Psalm 103, for example, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His Benefits. Why would he say forget not? Because people are prone to forget. Who forgives all your sins? You're feeling condemned and guilty about things. What does the Bible say? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we do what? If we confess our sins. Lots of scriptures on forgiveness. Every once in a while you hear a boneheaded theological statement that says Christians don't have to confess their sins. They don't have to repent. They're forgiven. Jesus died for them. No, according to the gospel, according to what uh, John says and others, we do. According to what Peter says, we do. And it's just a matter not about that somehow God doesn't know. We're not informing God when we confess our sins. Can I have an amen? amen. He knew. Amen. What you're dealing with is the restoration of a right relationship with him. Amen. Saying what he says, confess means to say the same thing. So if this is your issue, there are lots of scriptures about this. And you go to God, and most of you have this down already, but how many believe that uh, if you go to God scripturally, he will, of course, you know, forgive you of your sins? Do you believe he's a forgiver? Why? Because that's a deep-seated level of faith for you when it comes to forgiveness. He, The same scripture, though, that says forgives all your sins, says what? He heals all your diseases. Say all all, 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 what does all mean? All. Some. All. The secessionists say none. I'm going to go with the Bible on this. To some Christians, well, some. He'll heal some things, but some things he won't heal. He heals all 
your diseases. So if you're facing a physical battle to build your faith, you're going to look up all the scriptures about what? Healing. Healing. He himself bore our sicknesses and carried our infirmities, and by his stripes we are healed. Peter's application, we what? Were healed on the cross 2,000 years ago. Uh, he sent forth his word and he healed them. Amen. Glory to God. Do you believe that the word of God is true on this? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, now he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Just read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read the healing narratives and your faith will grow. You see this. If you're going to tap into your privileges and rights as a child of God, you have to approach God in faith. And this is something that I you know, learned as a baby Christian, and it just startled me because I thought, well, if I have faith in this area, I must have faith in every area. And I found out I can have great faith in a certain area and no faith in another area. You understand what I'm saying to you? I'm just not developed or cultivated in that area, and so I'm not really believing, I'm not really exercising faith, I'm not going to receive much from Him. So you can have a great in your faith for forgiveness. You can also believe that it, uh, what the Word says that you've been made righteous. How I many you believe that you are the righteousness of God in Christ? You can believe that, and yet have absolutely no faith to be healed. Amen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing in, hearing by the Word of God. Your problem tonight may be finances. You wouldn't be alone in that. You know, the Bible is filled with financial scriptures that promise you that God will take care of you, that He will, in fact, meet your needs, amen, and He'll grant your wants. That shocks some Christians. God doesn't care about my wants. That's because some religious person told you that. <laughs> he cares about what? Everything. In fact, He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. But notice you have to delight yourself in the Lord. What does delight mean? It means to derive the greatest pleasure from. Now, let's be honest about this. When we're seeking God's face, we're asking Him to do something, whether it's a financial provision or some kind of miracle. At that moment, are, are we really getting the greatest delight in life from Him? And if we're not, we're not really qualified to execute that scripture. Say it with me, the greatest delight, the greatest pleasure from the Lord. Or maybe it's just we're in trouble, we need some help. Let's throw something theologically against the wall and hope it sticks. No, you need to be more precise in your faith. Find out what God says about that matter. Say, my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Go on to uh, Psalm 112 for a moment. When you there, say, I'm there. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his what? Derives the greatest pleasure from what? Let me give you a little secret here. When you get to the place where you're deriving your greatest pleasure from God's Word and God Himself, you're going to see major breakthroughs in your life. He absolutely loves to move on behalf of people, amen, that love Him, that delight in Him. He goes on to say, His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. How many have a kid or grandkid that could use a spiritual shove? <laughs> Some of y'all respond to that very quickly. 
You have some kids that need to move with God, walk with God. What does the word say about that? There are lots of scriptures about the blessing of God on our, on our household, on our kids. That's what you want to be believing and build your faith, amen, for that. The children of the righteous are going to be what? Not cursed, but what? But blessed. Say, my kids are blessed. My grandkids are blessed. My great-grandkids are blessed. As long as we endure on this earth, they're what? They're blessed. Well, how can you possibly say that? Because you've been redeemed from the curse. And when a man or a woman of God is redeemed from the curse, everyone that follows is redeemed as long as they walk in the same footsteps as the one that taught them how to be redeemed in the first place. Amen. Aren't you glad you're redeemed tonight? Amen. Your kids should be more blessed than you. Amen. And they should be more blessed than them. Do you know that for 2,000 years the curse has been compounding? Post-cross. Now imagine everything that worked up to the point of the cross. Jesus bore that on the cross for you and for me. I want you to think about that. How bad do you think the curse is now? All right, think about it this way. How great do you think the blessing is? The Bible says that uh, the righteous are going to enjoy the blessing for a thousand generations. What generation are you on? Amen. You have to approach the Word of God, find the place where it's written, and cultivate your faith in that particular area. Powerful scriptures. How many believe the promises of God? Yeah. Amen. Wealth and riches are in His house, and His righteousness endures forever. Say, wealth and riches, wealth and riches. are in His house. If you listen to a secessionist, if you listen to some Calvinists, they'll tell you that you can't claim that scripture. Well, guess what? If it's in the Word of God, you can claim it. Say, wealth and riches in my house. Now, Sharon's confessing that. Some of you are bashful. Now, if you're too bashful to confess something that's in the Word of God, then you're too bashful to receive that thing from the Lord. So let's try it again. Wealth and riches are in his house. Is that okay? Well, watch this. That next verse says, and his righteousness endures forever. Watch this. They're not pursuing stuff. They're pursuing God. That scripture means that their righteousness, their right standing with God, their walk with God is intact despite the fact that there's resources in their house. Amen. Say, well, I'm not rich. Compare yourself to the third world. Mm -hmm. Compare yourself to the people on the streets of Long Beach tonight. You're sitting here tonight with the cost of living we have in this area. You're all very, very well off, and you should all thank God for what he's done for you. And be very grateful you live in this nation with all of its problems. Amen. We're blessed people. Now, when Dr. Cho was growing up in, in post-war Korea, he just wanted a little bed to sleep on. He believed God for it. He believed God for it. He believed God. He saw God give him that bed, and guess what he got? And they went around telling all the little friends. They used to go into the dump sites just to find things to eat and find things to wear, whatever the case may be. He began to believe that he was going to get a bike. He was going to get a bike. He used to talk about getting a bike. He would see himself riding that bike. And everybody laughed at him until one day he rode up on that bike. He took that understanding of faith in the Word of God and eventually built a church that had 1.5 million members at the time of his departure from this earth. Same principle. It started 
with the bed. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? Never despise the day of small beginning. Just keep believing God and don't let people talk you out of it. If it's in the Word, you can, you can have it. Say it, I can have. How many of y'all know that when we do the confession of the Word of God, we're not just filling time? Because pastor doesn't have enough to say, so he has to have filler. I can what? I can have what it says. I can have. Now the key is it, I can have what it says I can have, not what I create. I have to be in what the Word says, in agreement with what the Word says. Praise God. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. You're going to have revelation. You're going to have light. Aren't you glad that even if there's wickedness out there, you're not in Egypt, you live in the land of Goshen where there's always light. Amen? There's always victory. And the days could come and you're going to have to actually really step into that. Now that doesn't mean build yourself a bunker under your house and get five years worth of food. Amen. It's becoming a very popular day for people to do this. Why would somebody build a huge bunker and then equip it with beds and with water and with food enough to feed maybe three or four people their family so they can lock it down? It's fear. That's right. Let me tell you what a Christian would be doing. A Christian would unload their warehouse mm -hmm. and be on the streets feeding people who are hurting and destitute. That's right. That's right. Be careful that you don't confuse fear and faith. They're not the same thing. Amen? That's right. They're polar opposites, but they work the same way. Faith cometh by hearing, but so does fear. Yeah. And there's a lot of fear mongering out there. Yes. Amen. Well, Pastor, Pastor, what if they drop a nuclear bomb on Murray? Are you serious? <laughs> I'm going to take a 55, you know, million dollar bomb and use it on Murray. <laughs> maybe, maybe by a military base nearby. Can I tell you something? Absent from the body, present, present from, the from the Lord. If they do, make sure you're in the epicenter so you go instantly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was on a college campus in Charleston, South Carolina. These, these students set up these tables and they're talking about how Reagan, the cowboy warmonger, is going to lead us into a nuclear war. They're just, I mean, they're foaming at the mouth. And I just walked by, and just, I had to laugh. They are nuts if you think that this man is going to start some kind of a nuclear war. That's the way people think. Amen. Having a policy that is derived in fear is always going to be bad policy. But it is good, amen, to walk softly and carry a big stick. It was Teddy Roosevelt that, uh, from what I have read, his biography, uh, his autobiography, now his two biographies. What's the guy that wrote, uh, Paul, you'll know this, the guy that wrote the Pulitzer Prize winning book for, yes, excellent stuff. You want to read about him? <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting that not a drop of American blood was spilled on his watch. But he wouldn't hesitate to engage the military and say, go ahead, try me. And guess what? Reagan took a play from his book, and that's how he operated as well. You understand the difference here? Aren't you glad you're a child of God? Um, if you're still afraid of dying, we need to talk about your salvation. Because the first thing that's going to disappear from your life when you're truly born again is the fear of death. It's the master fear. Amen? And people that don't know God are held in bondage. Now, it doesn't mean you want to go tonight. 
or anytime soon. Turn to somebody and tell them, fulfill your destiny. Do what you're called to do. Length of days, strength of days, amen. Be satisfied and then let him show you your salvation. But not walking around in fear and be petrified all the time. Um, go with me over to Psalm 128. What are we doing if we're going to tap into our privileges and rights? We're going to have to develop our faith. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. You could say walk in His character. You could say walk in wisdom, walk in faith, walk in holiness. For those of you who have not been around uh, the harbor long enough to hear a teaching on the fear of the Lord, it's not just fright, although a lot of people in this world could use a healthy dose of what? Fear of the Lord. Because He's big and He's awesome and He's mighty. He's coming back. And he will judge the living and the dead. He will judge the nations. But the fear of the Lord, as used repeatedly in Scripture, refers to someone who has such a deep respect and awe and reverence for God that they love him enough to do what he says. Yes. Yes. Jesus echoed this by saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So somebody says they love God but don't do what he says. That's not true. They don't really love him. But watch this. You'll eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like her fruitful vine. Guess it depends on how many kids you want. <laughs> or grandkids you want. Amen. Your sons and daughters will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem and may you live to see your children's children. I mean, I want to see generations in your life. Amen. Amen. Um, it's often said, uh, you know, don't bemoan growing old. A lot of people never have that privilege. But seeing your grandkids, seeing your what? Your great-grandkids. Amen. There are provisions in Scripture for all types of promises, whatever is on your heart. But you're going to have to search the Scriptures. And what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Turn to somebody and tell them, build your faith. Develop your faith. Cultivate your faith. Now, why is this important? Because this is the research phase for you. Number two, you need to petition the judge. And I don't mean just throwing some words out there, scattershot. I mean specifically going to the judge with the case law that you found in Scripture to support your position. Now, if you're going to go before a, a judge in a, in a civil matter, for example, you better be going there with case law in your briefcase. Your lawyer better have done the research to find out why you're right on this situation. Um, criminal law works, you know, the same law. But bottom line is, if you aren't prepared, you're going to get hammered. I was recently reviewing just a petition that we had years ago with, with Timothy's uh, adoption. And in the first paragraph, I was, I was struck by this, this, this phraseology, you know, the court and the representatives of the court all having done their due diligence. Comes Arden and Kelly Hines to petition the court, present together with their attorney, a man named John Blight from Louisville. You know, it was so specific. 
here's the law and here's what was done. We kept the law. Now we can go ahead and make this petition. And I'll never forget when we sat in his office over in Christian County. He looked at us and he said, you both do realize the seriousness of the, the action you're about to take. We're like, yeah. And he took that pen. And he signed that order, that petition that our Lord had drafted. He signed that order and he said with these words, didn't he, Kelly? It's official. He's Timothy Arthur Hines. Amen. Amen. Now, what does that mean? It means somebody had to go to the authority who could handle that in that jurisdiction and make that a reality. Right down to the birth certificate, that's what it says. Amen. Now, what you've been doing Psalm 103, Psalm 112, Psalm 128, wherever God tells you to go, Isaiah 53 for healing, etc., etc. You've been building your case. And when we're talking about petitioning the judge, we're talking about you specifically writing out a petition to the Lord based on what? Not a hoping and a praying, but based on the Word of God itself. Your Word says this. An attorney is going to say, well, such and such case and, and such and such year, this is what the court found. Is that informative for the judge? Yes, the judge wants to know what the case law is so he can make a judgment based on that. So he's not overruled down the line. And so you're going to heaven with God's own word. Are you here tonight? Yes. You're going with God's own word. Your word says that by his stripes I was healed. Your word says in Psalm 103 that all my sins are forgiven and all my diseases are healed. You said that he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our infirmities. You said you sent forth your word and you healed it. You see what's going on here. You're taking the faith that you've been developing and you're presenting it to God in a petition form and you formally petition God. Not just generically, oh, hoping to pray this works. And you write that thing up, you type that thing up, and you pray over that thing, even take communion over that thing, put it in your Bible to remind yourself of that and keep your faith on that. I know people, Jerry Sale talk about this and others, every petition they've ever written has come to pass. Every single one. That shouldn't shock you when you find out the Word of God, amen, is the basis of the petition. That's why you can't let somebody dumb down your view of the Scripture. It has to have the highest authority in your mind that this is what God said and He will honor that word. Can I have an amen to that? Amen. You petition Him formally. You find the place where it's written and write out what you want and you act just like your Bartimaeus in 2023. And the Lord says to you, what do you want me to do for you? Don't go, uh, I don't know. You've got it ready. Yeah. What do I want you to do? Here's what I want. So-and-so has an incurable disease, the experts have said. I want that reversed in Jesus' name. I want healing to come to them, right? I need provision. So-and-so needs a job, whatever it is. Now, how many of you know that uh, when somebody sits in your church and you're a pastor, you don't always know if you're drilling through the wood? And it doesn't make a difference how loud or soft you are or that it was a 45-part message series. But sometimes it is. Do you know that Sunday will be the final message in the transformational processes? The final one. You should just come just to see that, amen. <laughs> Are you here? Sometimes you're not sure if you're drilling through the wood. But I mean, it's not even my problem. Speak the word of God. 
Spirit of God is the teacher, and our degree of openness will determine how much revelation we walk out of here with. But my family wasn't raised in this stuff. We were raised to be good little Lutherans, you know, and my dad was on the Lutheran board, and we were faithful in that environment. But, you know, collectively, we didn't have much revelation on even some of the things I'm talking to you about. Uh, it, was, it was limited. We had a moral compass, you know. We were trained in the Ten Commandments. You know, there was a morality there. There was something that I can't, you know, do anything but thank God for because so many of my generation didn't get that, and they're lost right now. It was just one of the foundational steps for me to move forward into what I am right now. So I thank God for it. So I never knew where, like, for example, my dad stood on these things. Now, you know, he sat right there under the Word. Um, he was here uh, since, what, 16th of October until he went home to be with the Lord. And going through some papers that Mom gave me, um, he had taken out a piece of paper from a, from a pad, a metal mall pad. Where'd that come from? Probably from Tracy McNutt. Yeah. And, he, and he had written this petition. And he had petitioned God to, to touch my mom with her physical infirmities. He had, he had petitioned God about some financial needs and, and believing God for a debt release. We're not talking about, you know, you don't think that it's really getting across to somebody, especially even in your own family. And this was my personal favorite. God, please help Art to preach good. Yes. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So from, from my dad to God's ear, hallelujah. And that little piece of paper is precious to me. And it's personal in the sense that was between him and God. But it shows an awful lot of revelation that he was receiving that the rascal never told anybody about. Amen. But I'm telling you that the formal petition is a powerful tool for the believer. Not just, well, he knows what it is. He knows what the need is. That's not the point. Faith has to be executed. Faith is not something you just believe in your heart. It's something that you do. One of the ways you can do this is write that petition up. Make sure you have the scriptures. And keep this in mind in Philippians 4 or 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Write this down. A petition is a formal request that is written based on the understanding of what the one you're petitioning will do, what the judge will actually do. And you and I are familiar with a story, a story called the story of the unjust judge. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Go to Luke 18 for a moment. How many say we've already spent time in these sessions, right? Explaining that God is not unjust. So we know this isn't about him. Luke 18. Some of y'all are thinking, you know what? I'm going to get into agreement with your dad. The pastor preaches good. Just amen. That's the smartest thing you can do. How many like to have more revelation? Amen. Raise your hand if you like to have more revelation. Yes. Pray more. You do affect what is served. That's right. The most powerful things I've ever heard Keith Moore say is that the audience affects the utterance of the speaker. Amen. Expectation and faith and desire and hunger to actually grow. In verse 1, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show 
that they should always pray and not give up. That's good, isn't it? Somebody may have heard, you may have heard somebody say, well, you know, you pray about it one time and that's it. If, if you have faith, that'll do it. Well, that's not exactly what Scripture talks about. He said in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me or wear me out. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? What's the answer to that? No, I tell you, he will see that they get what? Justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? God's going to do his job, but are people going to follow him and be faithful? And that uh, phraseology about troubling the judge or bothering the judge is, is, is no word importunity. And it basically means, you know, shameless and bold persistence. Unashamed to go to him. And that's what you should do with your petition. But with this in mind, your God is not unjust. He's just. You show him that petition. You pray that petition. You're praying basically his word and his will. Of course God is not going to violate his own word. Because he's not unjust. Say, he is a just judge. And he cares about you. Amen? So why do we do the petition if God already knows everything that's on that page? It's not about what God knows. It's about what you know. And it's you ex executing your faith in the direction of that just judge to produce victories in your life. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Say, I'm a chosen one. Raise your hand if you believe you're a chosen one. You know, through the processes of transformation we've talked about by now, you should believe, you know, I am one of his chosen ones. Say it with conviction. I am one of his chosen ones. Well, then that qualifies me. You cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. What kind of justice? Spiritual justice is the basis of that relationship. Now I can have what? Civil justice, criminal justice, whatever the case may be. God, God does care about these things. Condemning the innocent and acquitting the guilty. God what? Hates them both. And in Georgia right now, you have a DA who was elected through George Soros' money. You have a liberal run-amuck person who the charge against 20-something people in Georgia and Fulton County is that they said verbally they don't believe the election was, was not rigged. They believe it was rigged. We now are being charged. We have people being charged in this country for speaking their opinion. Now, we all have the right to be stupid and wrong. But at least we have the rights, or we used to. DA's offices throughout the country have been completely politicized. They used to care about the law, not about politics. It's an embarrassment. It's making us look like a third world country, a banana republic, where people politicize just to score points, political points against each other. No. Thank God God's going to take the throne one day. And it won't be no voter recount. Amen. And, and, and you can write as many times as you want. Some other candidates, not going to matter. That's right. Glory to God. Are you still here? Yes. Petition the judge. Are you receiving this tonight? Yes. 
I'm going to develop my faith. I'm going to find the place where it's written. I'm going to formally present that to the Lord, whether it's healing or finances or some deliverance or somebody's salvation, whatever it is. And I'm going to believe it. I'm going to pray, have that petition ready, and I'm going to present it with thanksgiving. Number three, plead the blood. This is the basis for your spiritual justice. It is by the blood you are made right. The blood is the basis for our right to petition. Only the blood washed can petition the judge. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? God is under no obligation whatsoever to respond to the prayer of the lost. But he does respond to a very specific prayer of the lost. And what is that? A prayer of repentance. In fact, the Bible tells us that we have treasure or hidden sin in our heart. God would not what? He would not hear us. It's important you understand this. This kind of petitioning is for those that are in the household of faith. Haven't you all grown up, asked your mom or dad for something, and you thought they wouldn't give it, and that you were shocked when they did? <laughs> but you petitioned them. Amen. You're pleading the blood. Kenneth Hagin said this, pleading the blood activates what happened through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. How powerful is that? It activates it. Say, I plead the blood, and it activates what he did on the cross. What did he do? He what? Delivered me from the curse. He redeemed me from the curse, but he reactivated the blessing. Are you here tonight? Say it. It's activated. I plead the blood. In Exodus 12, 13, you're, they were told to put the blood on the doorpost. And what happened? That particular house was passed over in terms of that judgment. What does the Word of God tell us in the New Testament? Genesis, Genesis, uh, Revelation 12 tells us they overcame them by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and loving not their lives, Right? But it starts with pleading the blood. Say it, I plead the blood. You don't know what to say? What should you do? I plead the blood. You know what you're doing when you, when you plead the blood? You're throwing the totality of the covenant you have. Amen. You're throwing the totality of everything God has at that situation. Because that's how everything was brought into being for you. You enjoy everything you enjoy because of the blood. Say it, I plead the blood. You may find at times you don't know how to pray, but guess what? You can always plead the blood. And the most difficult things to do is walk into the hospital room where things are beeping, amen, and fluids are flowing, and, and reports are negative. But you know what you can do? You can plead the blood. I don't know about all of that stuff, but I know in whom I believe. I'm going to trust Him in that situation. And we need more people today than ever rebelling against, amen, reports that contradict the Word of God in your life. Amen. Say, well, what if it happens anyway? What if I fight and I lose? Well, at least you fought. That's right. That's right. That's what we need. If we don't fight, we're not going to win at all. That's right. It's like never crawling into the boxing ring in the first place because you might lose. Yeah, in this faith walk, and that's what you'll hear from us tell you the truth about this. Faith is not some kind of panacea for utopian life on earth, but it gives you the tools to fight back. Amen. It gives you something to do in response to this world situation. But it requires that you fight the good fight of faith. Come on, shout it out. I plead the blood 
of Jesus. Come on, shout it out. I plead the blood of Jesus. Think about this. When you're faced with that stack of bills, when you're looking at all those tubes, when you're looking at all those machines, when you're hearing all this stuff and it's coming at you, it's like the devil saying, well, how do you plead? What you going to say about this? I'll tell you what I plead. I plead the blood of Jesus. Because he's the one that took care of this and paid for my redemption. Number four, real quickly tonight, refuse to put pressure on man. Come on, say, I refuse refuse to put pressure pressure on any person to meet my need. It's very, very subtle. You walk up to somebody and you say, you know, uh, I'm believing God for a watch. Matter of fact, it's a watch just like yours. (laughs) It's not faith. That's witchcraft. How do you know God's the one you petitioned? So you turn right around and put pressure on people. And it's not just people in the congregation that do it. You see people do this in the ministry all over the place. Like you get a letter in the mail and somebody says, I was flying over your house last night, liar, liar, pants on fire. You weren't flying over my house last night. But I thought about you. And if you'll do such and such and such, then God's going to do such, such and such. Well, I do believe in seed time and harvest. But I don't believe in shams. If the word won't get it, you shouldn't want it. Amen. And that includes churches. Yeah, that's it. Teaching the principles of giving, sowing, and reaping, yes, that's the word of God. It's up to people to do it. But manipulating, pressuring, putting people under the gun for something that only God can do in the first place? No. You don't put people under pressure to meet that need. What does that say if you're doing that? It means you came out of faith and your petition is worthless. Don't petition God, then put pressure on man to meet your need. Are you here tonight? Let me just uh, have you go over to uh, Jeremiah for a moment. You know, when I was growing up, we weren't really in the scriptures, and whenever I'd hear the word Jeremiah, the next words out of my mouth was a bullfrog. Aren't you glad we're sanctified now, Paul? <laughs> Never really understood what that song meant, but but now I know Jeremiah, the prophet of God, hallelujah. hallelujah. <laughs> A powerful scripture in seven, chapter 17. Verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They'll not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parts, places of the desert, in uh, a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. Say, that's me three times. That's just a few of you. Let's say it together. That's me. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in Him. They'll be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream but does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Say it again. That is me. That is me. In other words, is God able to meet your needs? Yes. Um, 
Since I've been in, in the ministry, I've had people say that uh, if somebody didn't make it, it was somehow a church's fault or the pastor's fault, somebody died. That's the same kind of mindset that gets you in trouble here. That means what? That you were looking to man to do something only God could do. Be careful with this. Um, and the more pressure you have, <laughs> the more likely you're going to be to try to put pressure on somebody else to do it. Don't do that because you're demonstrating not faith, but fear and confidence in somebody else other than the Lord. Brother Osteen's famous story is, you know, so many bills coming in, the bill collector's calling. And so finally he's had enough. He answers the call and he talks to the bill collector and says, look, here's the way it works. Every month I put all the bills on the coffee table and I spread them out and I mix them all up and I pick two to pay. He says, if you keep calling me, you're not going to even get in the shuffle next month. That's some pressure. <laughs> See, my God is able. Develop your faith, petition the judge, plead the blood, refuse to put pressure on man. And last but not least, speak the word. Amen. Refuse to say anything but what the word says. Now watch this. Don't contradict your written petition with your mouth. Your petition is not going to work when you're praying one way with a petition and then speaking when you're not praying some other direction. Say that with my mouth is the seat of my authority. The Bible says in John 6, 63, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. His words literally contain life. So limit your words to words of life and don't contradict your petition with your words. Your first words in a situation always matter. When you get a big bill that you didn't expect, what should be your first words? Not, oh man, do what Jesse does. Just lift it up to heaven and go, God, you've got mail. Uh, you just make up your mind that, well, I'm going to just immediately say what God says. Now, how many know out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak? So you've been filling your heart with trash instead of what the Word says about your financial need, for example. What's going to come out of your mouth first is not going to be something that's faith-filled. It'll be worry. Don't get uptight about it. Your God is well able. Anybody here ever need God to move in a financial matter in your life? Raise your hand. You ever need that? Yes. Is he faithful? Yes. What should you be doing? You should be believing, reading those scriptures, believing those scriptures, practicing those scriptures. You know, sow your seed. Oftentimes somebody will ask me about, you know, if, uh, if somebody wants to buy something, you know, a church member wants to buy something in the church, I'm going to tell you this plainly. A seed is always more powerful than a sale. You sell something for $1,000, guess what you get? You get $1,000. You sow it, it could be what? Who knows how many fold? We don't think this way because we are what? Carnal-minded when it comes to these things. That doesn't mean you should just do this willy-nilly. They'll just throw stuff out there and just sell everything you have because somebody else did it. No, you ought to hear from God in terms of your sowing. But understand this. What you should be doing is sowing and keeping your mouth on the Word of God. Say it with me. Don't contradict your petition with the words of your mouth. Come on, say it again. Don't contradict your petition with the words of your mouth. Make sure the first thing that comes out is what the Word says. I remember years ago, uh, the Faith Dome was being built in uh, College Park, Georgia. And uh, there was, uh, I want to say it was 
easily one or two million dollar bill. And how construction works is like on this building, they would do a work say in August and then September 10th, you'd get a bill. And then all the work they did in October, the contractor would uh, get a, give us a bill and expected what? It to be paid on that for the work they did the month before. This is how this is worked. And so that, uh, that coming uh, like Monday, there was a huge, huge bill that was due on this thing and there was no way in the natural, there was no funds available and God impressed the leadership of that church to sow a significant seed to some other ministry. And how many know that would make some board members go what? Yeah. Tilt if they don't understand the concept. Mm-hmm. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And, 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 and not to be simply gratuitous here, we have the finest board of any church anywhere in the country right now because they don't think in a backward manner. They think in a scriptural manner. And God is blessing their efforts. Todd's not here, not to give them a hand clap. We appreciate what Roddy did, what does, and what uh, a sister does. Amen. Glory to God. And we're blessed to have them. You understand what I'm saying to you? You can't be moved by man's natural way of, of doing things. Your first response is going to determine, amen, a lot in your life. You should pray, you should read the scriptures, you should meditate, you should memorize those, you should sow your seed and expect God to move. And uh, that's what they did. And God was like just on, talk about pivotal moments, right before service, they're about to go out there with this, with this terrible situation. We've got like a $2 million bill that's due and there's nothing to pay, what are we going to do? And basically the Lord was saying, here's what you don't say. And then here's what you do say. And what the leader went out there and said, he said, we have all the money that we need. God is providing every dollar we need to pay every bill for this construction project. And they have no idea how it happened. But that particular day, they took in more money than they needed for that bill. And never even mentioned a word about it. Do you know that the Holy Ghost doesn't need the threats or intimidation of preachers to get you to, to give towards something? Come on, say, I can hear from God. Come on, say, I can hear from God. You can hear from God. And collectively, apparently, they did. And it was paid for. And do you know the thing? I think seats like 10,000 people was paid for completely with cash. That does not mean there was not pressure along the way. You and I are good at taking the pressure that's on us and putting on other people. And we can't do that. Say it with me. I am not going to contradict my petition with the words of my mouth. So how are you going to tap into those rights of a believer? You're going to develop your faith. You're going to petition the judge. You're going to plead the blood of Jesus. You're going to refuse to put pressure on some man. You're going to speak the word of God. Does it work? Yes. I'm seeing uh, more and more people in the body of Christ, more and more people in this church that are, that are walking in victory in these areas. And I thank God that uh, revelation is being grabbed a hold of. Uh, teachers and preachers, we... No, we have no ability to make anybody believe or receive anything. It's just you teach the Word of God. But the best way I can describe this, what's going on, and has been now for, for quite a while, there is a, a seizing spirit out there in this church. You're seizing things. You're grabbing them. Come on, say, I'm grabbing them. I'm laying hold of them. Look at your eyes and see what somebody else is doing but you're grabbing them. Amen. You're about to go through the most wonderful season you've ever been through in your entire life. 
Don't give yourself, don't, don't pay attention to losses and grief and sorrow and all the things that have gone wrong. Just, just dial in to what the Word of God says and expect good things to happen in your life. I hear the Holy Ghost saying that confusion is leaving some hearts tonight. You know, having two minds, two different thoughts, not knowing what to do. Peace is coming to you right now. And you know that oftentimes just coming down and making that decision will grant you peace. It's the indecision that takes away your peace and causes turmoil. See, let me, confusion is gone. He's not the author of confusion. He's the author of what? Peace. So at the end of the day, we believe God will meet your need. Why? Because he's just. Because a high price was paid. Amen. And he's not a man that he should lie. Should believe that, give him a big hand clap and thank him tonight. <laughs>